Well, hello again, everybody. This is Rick Thibodeau, and I'd like to welcome you to another edition of Rick's Mix. I'm going to jump right into it with no further ado. As you can probably hear, I still have my bad cold and my cough. I'll try to minimize it as much as I can. I uh, still haven't learned to do the music or the special effects or any of that cool stuff on here, so you're just going to have to deal with just my voice. So, um, so today on Rick's Mix, I want to talk about my beach house in the Philippines, or I should say my former beach house in the Philippines. As you know, we had to sell it recently. A um, little bit of history, so, you know, obviously my wife's from the Philippines, so we got married in 2002. Uh, I met her in Hong Kong, and I had never been to the Philippines, didn't really know much about it. <clears throat> Somewhere around 2010, uh, I was able to get a few weeks off from work and took my first trip to the Philippines. Of course, Virginia and the kids were already there, uh, two kids at the time, because Max wasn't born yet. And uh, so I went in August of 2010 and flew into Manila. They picked me up. We went up to the stay with her family, and now Virginia's family lives in the provinces up in the Philippines, up in, in the north, uh, the island of Luzon, which is the big island, the island that Manila's on, and they live probably about five, four or five hours north of Manila, close to Lingayen Gulf, and if you ever see a map of the Philippines, you'll see Luzon, where the Lingayen Gulf is, the big thing there, so anyway, they live in what's called the provinces, and the provinces basically means they live like, like in an area that's like jungle and rice paddies and stuff like that. So that's where we stayed, and I got to tell you, for it, it just was extremely uncomfortable. I did not enjoy it, sleeping on a on a bamboo. I don't even know what you call it. it. wasn't even really a bed. It was just like a piece of bamboo, which is wood. Um, no mattress, you know, no nothing. So hot and humid there, sweating my cannolis off day and left day and night. I mean, I roughed it. You know, I put up with it. It was you know, no electricity didn't work half the time. Refrigerator, we go out, which means my beer wouldn't wasn't kept cold, which is you know a big deal. And uh, yeah, I just didn't really like it there. And so the whole time I kept telling Virginia, I'm like, all right, look, we 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 need I need a beach vacation while we're here, okay? I need a beach vacation. I'm 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 roughing it in the provinces. I'm putting up with it. I'm not complaining. But while I'm here, I need a beach vacation. So uh, we had planned to. Uh, to do a, a thing on the beach uh, on the weekend when everybody wasn't working. The Filipinos like uh, Saturdays and Sundays is the typical days off. <clears throat> but, of course, being a religious country like they are, Sundays is for church, so Saturday is usually the big party day. So, anyway, um, so, yeah, we went up the beach. The beach is called Nibalu Beach. It's probably about 45 minutes away from where they lived in the provinces. Now, as the crow flies, it was probably only about 15 minutes, but this being the Philippines, you know, the roads don't go straight there. You have to go way out of the way and go 45 minutes. Um, but anyway, so we got the whole family, we rented out, or I rented out, um, a couple of cabanas and a big barbecue, you know, uh, thing with a big barbecue area and a karaoke machine, because Philippines, karaoke, it's a religion there, man, if you've never been to the Philippines, I mean, you think Japan likes karaoke, go to the Philippines, it is literally a religion, everybody does it, it doesn't matter how bad they, their voice are or whatever, everybody does it, so we rented a thing and, and, you know, the whole family and, friends and nephews and cousins and and you know everybody i mean just people i've never even heard of before just all show up to the beach for this big huge barbecue and uh god it was just the best time it was like because you know the we were right on the beach literally right on the beach all the beachcombers going by every morning the vendors selling the fresh fish and seafood that they caught and we we were buying it all squid oysters and oysters we're talking we're talking like a like a 10 pound bucket of oysters for like five bucks you know 
here in Germany, one oyster, I go to Nord Sea where you get the oysters or anywhere that sells oysters, and it's like two euro just for one oyster. And here I'm, you know, Philippines, I'm getting like five, ten pounds of oysters for like five euro. It's incredible. Um, and everything fresh pulled out of the sea that day. So I, I was like, hey, I can get used to this. Now, for anyone who doesn't know me, I was born and raised in New Hampshire, Nashua. Um, we were probably maybe an hour from the seacoast. And, you know, in New England, we love our fish. We love our seafood. And I grew up on that. Fish and seafood, absolutely my favorite food in the world. I, I, I'm fond of saying I would give up red meat before I would give up fish or seafood. That's how much I love it. I was raised on it, you know, uh, scallops, clams, lobsters, steamers, all that stuff, man. I, I, I just can't get enough of it. And it's hard to find sometimes. You know, you got to be near the ocean. So in the Philippines where we were, it was, we were just we were right on the water. So we'd, we'd buy everything squid everything man and virginia and her family would cook it up right in the grill and it was just the best time and i was just in heaven you know and uh so we we did an overnight we rented a place overnight we ended up renting it for like one or two more nights while everyone else had to go back and go to work we stayed there because we were on vacation and um <clears throat> and so i while we were there um on the weekend while everybody was there i guess the guy who we had the guy's name is nestor that we had rented the the beach place from or whatever would i guess i'd talk to kind of pull virginia aside and mention something about uh you know hey there's a if you guys are interested there's a place you know just a few doors down here that is for sale if you want to take a look at it you know because it, it, the thing you learn in the philippines quick is they see americans and they see dollar signs so you know i guess this guy probably figured oh this guy's american so why don't i try to sell him this this, this piece of property whatever so Virginia brought it up to me, and of course my first instinct was I was like, hell no. I'm like, I am not. I did not. This is my first trip to the Philippines. I did not come here to buy property in the Philippines. You know, uh, so I was just like, no, I was very dismissive of it. But, you know, they kept swearing, oh, no, just at least look at it, at least look at it, at least look at it. I'm like, ah, finally I relented. I said, okay, fine, we'll go look at it. So we looked at it, and uh, the next morning the guy came out um, with the key. And the funny story behind it was, it was being, they were selling it really cheap. The family that had it was a Filipino family, but they lived in, I think, California. And so their father, who was like 78 years old, lived in the next city over to Gupan City. And the word that we got was they were sending him a lot of money to, like, you know, up, you know, keep up the place, take care of it, you know, do repairs, cleaning, whatever. And instead of using the money for that, he was using the money that they were sending him to basically live like a playboy. And he was using the beach house for his extramarital trysts. And so the family got tired of his shenanigans and they were like, all right, well, we're, you know, that's it. We're just going to sell the place. We're tired of it, you know. Um, so they sold it cheap and the guy came the next day and with the key, we looked at it. And I remember my first impressions. I was, I was like, I mean, this is, this place is, is pretty much just like living ready, not living, but moving, right, whatever you want to call it. Um, it had indoor plumbing, it had electricity, it had it was at an actual two bedroom house with a little living room, a little small one. Um, then it had an extra little area in the middle that was empty, and then it had a nipper hut in the front. A nipper hut, for those who don't know, is a nipper is a I think it's, a, it's some kind of I don't know what you call it. Uh, it's like a type of like grass or like tree or whatever tree branch kind of thing and they use it to to cover the huts if you've seen like gilligan's island all this all that stuff that they use to put on the roofs of the huts that's like in the philippines it's called nipa and that's what they use so they just there's a hut so he's called a nipa hut we call also called a bungalow or whatever so it, all that and i was like and then when they told me the price i was like oh my god i'm like jesus we could we could literally could just sit here and 
plunk down cash for this place right now. They give you an idea. I won't tell you exactly how much you pay for it, but I will tell you that um, it cost ten thousand dollars less than my my new new Volvo that I bought that same year. So uh, I kind of debated it, and I, you know, Virginia kind of wanted it, and I started thinking about it. And I, the more I thought about it, I thought, you know, now that I'm here, is it looks like we're going to start taking vacations here every year, coming here every summer, hopefully, and. I do not want to stay in the provinces. I mean, that place just sucks. But if we have the beach house, we come here every year, we stay at the beach house. I'm like, this could work out perfect. So we, we looked into we We quickly agreed. We did all the paperwork, everything else. We transferred the money. And next thing you know, it was ours, just like that. And sure enough, every year we go back. And so what we did is we had a, we worked out on a, and, and you know, the funny thing is, is Virginia's family, like, wanted it really, really bad. They really wanted us to buy this place, you know, because they figured, well, we're not going to be there but once a year. So they, you know, every rest of the year, they're going to have run of the place. So Virginia's mother was, uh, she she basically lived in the place and stayed in the place while we were gone. So we had someone to watch it. And she ran what's called a little sorry, sorry store. Sorry, sorry store is like a little store that sells like a little bit of everything. Candy, cigarettes, liquor, um, you know, chips, shampoo, toilet paper, whatever people in the in the area might need. They don't make a lot of money, but they make a little bit anyway. Um, so she ran a little sorry, sorry store out of the out of the beach house. And <clears throat> at the time, it was kind of like I love the idea of having a place on the beach. It was great, but I never ever looked at it as oh well, this is something we could you know make money on renting it out or selling stuff of this, this or that or whatever. Virginia's family kind of had thoughts of that. Oh, we can sell stuff out of here, or whatever. But there's a let's just put it this way: there's a running joke that my friend Paul Granderman told me years ago about the Philippines, and the joke goes. Do you know how you make a small fortune in the Philippines? Answer, you take a large one there. So that pretty much tells you all you need to know about the Philippines. You get all these, you know, wide-eyed Westerners that, that you know, go there and they think, oh, it's a third-world country and I'm going to go there and I'm going to make a fortune and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. But, yeah, it just doesn't work that way. So anyway, yeah, so we looked at it, you know, as like just kind of a place that we were just going to use for vacation every year. And there was a, you know, there was a little upkeep that it needed and a little few things that we needed to add. Like my first thought was, okay, well, we really need an air conditioner. So what I told Virginia was, after we bought it, I said, well, let's do this. Every year when we go back, we'll make a list of all the big things we need to add to the place. And we'll just, every year we'll just, you know, we'll buy like one big thing. So like first year we'll buy an air conditioner, second year we'll buy this. Funny thing is, is all the years that we had it, well, until the last couple of years when Virginia was going, we actually never bought an air conditioner because as hot and humid as, as it was, and trust me, the Philippines is the most humid and hot place I've ever been in my life. Um, when we slept at night, we would sleep. I would sleep with just with a huge fan on me, and it would be fine for me. And then the rest of the day, you know, we're usually in the Nipah hut, which is pretty much you can't really have air conditioning in there because it's all it's a hut, you know. It's, it's there's no it's not closed in. So anyway, we did that, and it was great. We the first year, the big thing we bought was a. A nice videoki machine. Videoki, karaoke, the same thing. In the Philippines, it's karaoke. They call it videoki, but it's the same thing. It's karaoke. So we, uh, um, I got my friend Don Pedro, uh, who we're going to talk about in a minute. Um, got him to hook me up with his friend Nelson Chu or Nelson Cho or Chu, I forget which. Um, and he he gave me a great deal on a on a really nice uh, videoki machine. So that was our big thing for that year because you, you can't have a, a Nippa hut on the beach and not have a videoki machine. It's just, it's almost, it's like there's a Filipino law against it or something like that. So so we did that. We we bought the place and, you know, every year we go back for vacation and we just, God, we had a blast. The kids loved it. I loved it. It was like my happy place. I mean, I just, 
my job is stressful and whenever we go there god the stress would just melt away and, and i didn't even want to go anywhere or do anything you know virginia and i were kind of always at odds because you know we were on vacation and she's like oh we got to take a trip here and see this and we got to take the kids there and see that and but i was just like i don't want to do anything i just want to sit here drink my fresh buco juice in the morning buco is coconut want to drink my fresh buco juice in the morning and in the evenings, I want to I want to drink some San Miguel Light or some Red Horse beer, and then just do nothing but relax. And man, I loved it there. Every year, I look forward to those vacations. They just recharge my batteries so much. So, uh, so that was that. And you know, we had the beach house, and we were happy taking our yearly vacations there. And then disaster struck in uh, 2014. I I had to. Um, that was when I was fighting the LQA auto, which some of you listening remember, but I'm not going to go into details. That'll be a, f- a future podcast. So, uh, so yeah, we had to, I got sent to the U S on PPP against, you know, I didn't want to go, but I had no choice because the government basically said you've been overseas too long. You got to go. So I got to sent to South Carolina, which really sucked because South Carolina to get back to the Philippines from South Carolina. I mean, especially for, and then we had, by that time we had max. And so when you're looking at five plane tickets and, it would take like two days to fly there and back. And so that's four days of leave, you know, burned just with traveling and the expense of the tickets and everything else. And so just, in you know, making a lot less money in the U.S. And so we just weren't all the, all those years and the, the years in the U.S. we weren't able to go. And then 2017, we, oh, I got picked up for a job back in Italy. So we were still trying to kind of get our feet together. Unfortunately, we had to buy a house in the South Carolina and the freaking place almost freaking bankrupted me with all the repairs and everything else so i couldn't afford plane tickets then so but i was able to send virginia and max there you know we figured i had to because the virginia's family never met max and so we sent her christmas of 2017 and that was nice and then 2018 early 2018 after a year in italy we got picked up for the job in korea and part of the reason we took the job in korea was because i figured no we're going to be a hop skip and a jump away from from the beach house so i can take you know trips there all the time and hell four-day weekend just to you know, a couple hour plane ride or whatever it is, and it's cheap. So, but then of course, again, does that? Well, the first summer, I I couldn't take our our first summer that I had there. I couldn't take a trip to the Philippines because work was just so busy with Korea that the chain of command wouldn't let me take vacation that time. So I sent Virginia and the kids there, so they were able to take a nice, you know, two month vacation there and have fun while I slaved away in Korea. And then, uh, and then the next year, um, we had. I had bought tickets to go back, but then COVID hit, and of course they canceled all the flights. So that was that. And then the next, and then shortly later that year, there was which was 2020. That's when I had my problems with my supervisor, and then ended up leaving, and everything went came here to Germany. And then just this past summer it was boom. That was the first time back there since for me, shit, 20, 2013. So yeah, seven years. Seven years I was there. I I I had to I I had to live it up going to the beach house. So. And I cannot tell you how great it felt to be back, man. It was like I never left. Just, I mean, I was older and older and fatter and whatever else. But, man, I still loved it just as much as I always did. And everything came back. And a lot of the same people were still there. They still remember me. And it was like a huge homecoming, me going there. And Yeah, wonderful. So, anyway, <clears throat> unfortunately, sadly, you know, we had to sell the beach house not too long ago, which we'll get into at the end. But, but there's one thing I wanted to kind of make mention of was uh, – one of the one of the things I love most about the the beach house was there used to be a bar there right on the beach called the Ocean Breeze, and uh, God, it was my hangout, you know, because that's the, we there was a bunch of expats there on the beach, like some Americans, some British, some 
Scottish, some Canadian, whatever. And you get to know them all, you know, because you, you got someone that you can kind of hang out with, drink some beers and and, and whatever. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the Ocean Breeze was, was where it all happened. And so it was, it, Ocean Breeze was really like an institution for us. And I, I wrote uh, a thing on it on my blog. Those of you that follow my blog, you know, you probably saw some of the stuff I wrote from this past trip to the Philippines and so I kind of wanted to, uh, since I'm talking about the beach house, I just I just pulled up the old thing that I wrote about the ocean breeze and, and the guy that ran it, Don Pedro, which, man, I'm telling you, without Don Pedro, the beach would have been boring. And I think you'll agree after you hear the stories. Um, but I kind of want to, I kind of want to just uh, uh, read the read this thing about the ocean breeze and Don Pedro. I hope you all get a kick out of it. So anyway, yeah, let's just, I'm just going to jump right into it. So the ocean breeze was a, a Nibelu beach institution. It was a large square open, or square shaped, I should say, open bar right on the beach. It was about three minutes walk down from our beach house. It was the main hangout for us expats who lived on or frequented our beach, and it was where I usually spent most of my time while at the beach. The best and sometimes worst thing about the ocean breeze was the owner, Peter. Peter was like something straight out of an old Hollywood movie. The guy was half Scottish, half Canadian, and he had been a professional chef for years before he retired. And he was goofy looking. If, if you ever seen a picture of Peter, if you've seen it on my blog or whatever, goofy looking guy. I mean, uh, he was really, he was tall. He was bald. He had a, like a little white mustache. Pale as can be, half Canadian, half Scottish. And just, you know, was was in his mid-60s. And just, uh, just kind of like a caricature, you know. He liked to brag that as a chef, he'd once cooked for Queen Elizabeth. Of course, we had no way of verifying that, but he swore it was true. He'd been coming to the beach since like the late 70s, and he knew the country better than just about any expat I'd ever met. He was also completely rude, crude, crass, and any other adjective you could think of for someone who had no filter, said and did whatever they wanted, and and honestly just didn't give a shit when anybody thought of them. That was Peter, in a nutshell. So now we met Peter during our first trip to the beach in, in 2010. It was the trip where we actually ended up buying the, buying the beach house. So for those who haven't read the account of my, of my first trip uh, to the Philippines, well, shame on you. It's on my blog. Anyway, this was before we bought the beach house. We had rented a place on the beach, as I had talked about a little earlier. And the Filipino manager, you know, told me about the guy, that Nestor, we talked about earlier, the one that told us about the beach house that we ended up buying. He also told us about this bar on the beach. They had a lot of expats hanging out there. So I went to check it out. And sure enough, there's several older Western guys sort of just kind of hanging out and drinking. And right in the middle of it all was Peter, drunk as hell and just holding court. Now, I didn't know he was the owner at the time, the first time I saw him. So I was just kind of ignoring him and trying to talk to the other more sober guys. But Peter just kept interrupting to the point that it was, like, really getting annoying. And that was Peter. So eventually I learned that Peter liked to sit at the bar like he was a customer and do what he could to try to get everyone else at the bar to order more beer, even if he had to kind of shame them by calling you Curdy Pulp, which is Filipino for cheap. At one point, a truck drove up while we were there, and out comes his wife at the time, Imelda. Now, Imelda was actually really nice. She was from the area, but she'd been living and working in Canada for several years and was really just westernized. She spoke perfect English. She introduced herself to us, and, and her and Virginia hit it off, like, immediately. I mean, just... Started talking in Ilocano, which is her native dialect. She was really apologetic about Peter. She kept telling us how sorry she was for his behavior. It was obvious they were kind of like on the outs, but they weren't really fond of each other. And then just at that moment, Peter gets up, grabs his keys, and he's like, I'm leaving. So Imelda tried to stop him because he was completely drunk and barely stand up. But of course, he wouldn't be stopped. 
She then she shows us dents in the back of his truck from all the times he drove home drunk and ran into a pole or some other object. And I, I remember thinking at the time, Jesus, this place really is like the Wild West. There's no rules here. Now, Peter had a house just behind the beach, like not too far away from us, you know, like on a back street. And compared to most places in the area, man, it was a freaking palace, kind of place I've always dreamed of owning. Two floors, several bedrooms, huge living room, huge dining room, big kitchen, an entire separate outdoor kitchen, and a barbecue party facility all outside. It just The place was just magnificent. Now, in the years of fallout, I learned that most, if not all, of the expats had sort of a love-hate relationship with Peter. He owned the Ocean Breeze, which, of course, was, you know, ground zero for us expats, and gave us a place to hang out and visit with each other, and, you know, that was no small thing. And he'd also been there so long that he pretty much knew everybody in the extended area, and he can get you anything you wanted, and usually cheaper than the normal price. He was also in good with the local police and the police chief, which explained how he was able to get completely fall down drunk and not worry about driving home. But because of his, all his connections and how well-known he was, he had a nickname that every, everybody in the area called him. He was known locally as Don Pedro, and it was a nickname that fit him perfectly. So, uh, due to his devil-may-care attitude and his action, he managed to piss off everybody sooner or later because he truly didn't care what anybody, whether they were a friend or a foe, thought about him. Now, as for me, um, I figured out pretty quick uh, what he was all about and, uh, you know, I just sort of adopted the attitude that all the other expats had, which was kind of be friends with him because of, we, because of what he can do for you and because, you know, let's face it, he's entertaining as hell. But always watch your back and don't trust him with anything. Peter loved drama. He loved causing it, and he loved being right in the middle of it all. And so the, ground, so the ocean breeze was like ground zero for a lot of it. Now, when I met him, he was fond of saying, always in his drunk voice, because I don't think I ever met him when he was, saw him when he wasn't drunk, but he was like, I'm 66 years old. I mean, he was just an old horn dog, this guy. And, of course, next year it was, I'm 67 years old, you know. That was Peter, man. Peter was an absolute pimp. He had, a, like, a never-ending stable of young girls in their early 20s who he told everybody were his girlfriends. But in reality, they were just using him for what they could get out of him, money for stuff that they needed. By our second year there, he and Imelda were basically separated, and she stayed in Canada, so he pretty much did whatever he wanted to. He liked to brag to everyone about his young girlfriends, and we were told by more than one of them that he was, he was actually a non-starter in her bedroom because he was drunk pretty much 24-7 and his willy didn't work anymore. It's worth noting, of course, that more than one girl confirmed that he was, let's just say, very well endowed down there. So for the girls, it was perfect. They didn't actually have to sleep with him. They just had to be one of his girls, and he would pretty much buy them whatever they needed. You'd see it constantly at the bar. The girls would ask him for uh, you know, loads for their cell phones, manicures, food, anything and everything, and he always said yes. The funniest thing he ever said was one night, I remember one of the girls at the bar, uh, I can't remember her name, but um, we were just kind of sitting there and it was quiet, and she just out of nowhere says, I'm really hungry. And without missing a beat, Peter says, oh yeah, you want a longanisa and two itlog? For those who don't speak Tagalog or Filipino, basically longanisa and two itlog is a sausage and two eggs. So anyway, it's... If you knew what it means, God, the, everyone at the bar was laughing for a solid 10 minutes. I remember one girl that was he was with regularly at the Ocean Breeze. She had a child, and one night he, after he'd passed out, she told me that, that she was only with Peter because he paid for her son's medication, which he needed a lot of because he was really sick or whatever it was. And she asked me not to look down. You know, I hope you don't look down on me for what you're doing because I have to do this for my son. But I was like, I don't. I'm like, hey, come on. 
you do what you got to do in this world and i don't look down on anybody for that crap so you gotta look out for yourself so but yeah I, I mean he had no shame when it came to women one time he gave virginia and i a ride to the nepo mall which is like the local mall that we went to to do grocery shopping and stuff and as we're walking in we passed by a group of about six or seven college-age girls Sure enough, as we passed by on Peter Proposition, like every single one of them, asked if any of them wanted to go home with him. I made a comment to him, something to the effect of, you know, Jesus, Peter, you're 70 years old, you're hitting on girls in college. He just, he stops, he looks at me with a straight face, and he says, don't ask, don't get. That was Peter. But Peter was useful, too. He had connections everywhere. He loved to help people out. As I mentioned earlier, our first year, I asked him where we could get a good deal on a video machine for the beach house, and he took Virginia and I into Dugupan City to meet with his friend Nelson Cho. And Nelson Cho ended up giving us a great deal on the state-of-the-art machine. We got a couple hundred dollars cheaper than we probably would have if we went by ourselves. So, uh, also, when our toilet broke, he brought me to his friend who was a plumber and arranged to have a to new toilet put in at a fraction of the price that it would have cost us otherwise. I mean, he'd been coming to the beach since the late 70s, so he was a fantastic source of information about the local area and the Philippines in general, the culture, the history, the people, everything. And, you know, for me, that was a big deal because that's what I like. I, I don't, you know, if I'm, especially if I'm going to another country, I want to know as much as I can, not just about the history, which I can read online, but, but also about, you know, the culture of the people and, you know, maybe some of the local history that you're never going to find in any books or online or anything like that. So in the two, two or three years that I had with him, I learned a ton about the country that I never would have learned anywhere else. and That was kind of a big deal for me. And one other thing about Peter, though, is that craziness and drama just seemed to follow him everywhere, usually of his own making. I remember one night at the Ocean Breeze, he had one of his girls with him. It was, she was a, I don't remember her name, but she was a stripper from Visayas, which is like down south of the Philippines. And out of nowhere, one of his other girls shows up at the bar, and things got pretty tense because they just did not like each other one bit, and they were both vying for Peter's undivided attention. Now, the stripper girl, that I can't remember her name, normally she would have won that one hands down, because she was, I remember she was really beautiful and had an unbelievable body. But the other girl was a local girl with like a flat chest and braces. But that girl just would not give up without a fight, and she decided to start stripping right there at the bar to get Peter's attention. So not to be outdone, at her own game, the stripper girl started matching her article of clothing for article of clothing while the rest of us at the bar just looking at each other and looking on at what's going on in stunned silence. Eventually, there's two girls there just in their bra and panties at the bar in front of everybody. And in the background, a proud Don Pedro just sitting there beaming at what he had wrought. That was Peter. Now, one... Another more scary moment that I can remember, there was one evening I was hanging out at the Ocean Breeze. It was probably during the week, and it was quiet. And it was it was just me and Peter. We were just kind of hanging out, drinking beers, just talking. And this huge, stocky Filipino guy pulls up in a San Miguel beer truck, and he sits at the bar with a couple friends. Peter tells me the guy's a delivery driver for San Miguel, and he had once borrowed some money from him and still had not paid him back. He's, of course, drunk as hell by that time, and one thing about Peter is that when he's extremely arrogant and not afraid of anybody, even though he was a frail old man. So at one point, he yells across the bar at the guy, Hey, you better pay me the money you owe me, you fucker! So the guy just looked really embarrassed, just kind of shot him a look, and he looked pissed off. You could tell he was pissed off at being called out like that in front of his friends, but he didn't say anything. So eventually, the guy's friends left. The guy's drinking by himself. Peter just keeps making loud remarks about the guy owing him money. And at one point, eventually, Peter gets up to go to the bathroom, which is in, like, the cabin area behind the bar. And not long after he does, the other guy gets up, and he goes in the back, too. 
So a little bit later, I can hear them talking, and I'm on a stool that could kind of see behind the area behind the bar. So I, I turn to look just in time, and I see the guy yell at Peter for embarrassing him in front of his friends. Well, a fearless and clueless Peter doubles down and says, Fuck you, give me my money! At which point, the guy slapped him hard right across the face, knocking Peter's glasses to the ground. Now, regardless of whether Peter had it coming or not, which he probably did, um, he's still a frail old man in his mid-60s, for Christ's sake, and, and that guy had no business hitting him like that. I mean, he could have done some real damage, could have killed him even. So anyway, he came back and sat down and keeps drinking, and then a little while later, Peter comes back holding his broken glasses, kind of fumbling with him. It was the first and only time I'd ever seen Peter frazzled, and he's kind of rambling incoherently about the guy breaking his glasses or something. And then he sort of comes to his senses and says he's going to call the police. So he told the guy he was calling the police and starts dialing his phone. And then something really strange happened. The guy says something to the effect of, go ahead, call them, and I'll tell, I'll tell them what happened to somebody's name. I, I don't remember the name, but I'll tell them what happened to so-and-so. So at that, at that point, like Peter suddenly hangs up his phone and just tells the guy, you know, get the hell out of here and don't ever come back to my bar ever again. So... Later, I told a few of the expats what had happened, and they told me, mm, yeah, they said there were rumors like years ago that one of Peter's wives had been having like an affair, and that Peter found out about it, and that he had something done to the guy that she was having an affair with, or at least he liked to brag that he'd had something done to the guy. Uh, but they all said nobody believed it, and that the real story was the guy had just gone back to where it came from, and it was just Peter being Peter. So who knows what the truth is, but man, it was just never a dull moment when Peter was around, I'm telling you. So anyway, Peter died suddenly in 2013. I guess probably shouldn't be surprised. Um, you know, that's all he basically did. He'd get up in the morning, go to the bar, and just drink all day until he passed out or drove home drunk. And he did this day after day after day. Um, and it was right before my last trip to the beach, which kind of sucked. I would have liked to have seen him one more time. But on my last trip to, in 2013, the Ocean Breeze, Ocean Breeze was still there, but Amelda had returned from Canada because she inherited everything from Peter. So now she was suddenly like very well off financially. She ran the bar for a little bit, but eventually sold it, and the new owners tore it down. Now you can't even tell where it used to be. There's just, everything's been plowed over and, and new stuff built. I had a nice chat with Imelda on my last trip. She was always nice and very friendly. I always liked her. And I'm telling you, I just can't imagine what she must have put up with, you know, the stuff she must have been put through being married to Peter. So as far as I'm concerned, she deserved everything she got. And these days, the beach is a lot more boring because there's no ocean breeze. And, man, I missed it tremendously on my last trip. Uh, I still kind of keep in touch with a few of you, you know, the expat friends that I made there via Facebook or whatever. But we don't keep in touch that often. Hopefully none of them have a problem with me talking about this. I know they were all friends with Peter. But, and I'm, I'm telling you, man, if I ever had the money someday, I would love to open a bar similar to the Ocean Breeze here or, you know, there. If only if only just to give the expats some place to hang out. But I doubt it will ever happen. The Ocean Breeze will just have to live on in our memories, I guess. But man, what memories they are. So, yeah, as I mentioned, we were forced to sell the beach house uh, a few months ago. Um, I won't get into details of it. It was I was devastated. I did not want to. It was the last thing in the world I wanted to do. It was my prized possession, my happy place. I even had planned on probably retiring someday there since it was, you know, we'd already owned the place. And one less thing I have to pay for would be perfect for just me, Virginia and I. We've got everything we need there. Uh, but, you know, there's some personal stuff with her family. And so suffice to say we had to sell it. I was devastated. We got, well, I mean, fortunately, at least we got a really good offer on the place, and I ended up pretty much selling it for about twice what I paid for it. 
So that part's nice. But uh, yeah, just I just really to this day wish I never had to sell it. It was my happy place. Kids loved it. Kids were devastated as well because they loved it as well. You know, I don't know where we go from here. For now, when we go back to the Philippines, if we go for vacation, I already told Virginia. I said I am not staying in the damn provinces. So I'll rent the place on the beach, but I'm not staying in the provinces. <laughs> So, who knows? But uh, anyway, that's the story of the Beach House in a nutshell. I know I've been kind of droning on. I hope you've all of it kind of enjoyed this uh, thing. It's, I guess I I guess I really needed to talk about it more for myself than anybody else. A little cathartic. But uh, thanks for listening to everybody. Um, I will be back soon with another episode. I don't know what I'm going to talk about. But as always, this is Rick's Mix, and I'll pick a topic at random, and we'll do it up. And uh, we'll see you all next time.